Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, when you look at the final week of Jesus, just before he goes to the cross, uh, we call it the Passion Week, the Passion Week. Uh, there are so many moments, so many things that take place, so many powerful things, so much teaching, many miracles, a lot of symbolism, and many things that our Lord does, teachings and illustrations to uh, speak life, and we're going to be talking about that over the uh, next two weeks. And uh, I just love this time leading up to Easter. I love these weeks leading up to Easter. It's powerful in so many lives, powerful in my life, and I just want to pause and, and thank you guys. Thank you for your generosity in these days. It's making an impact. We're seeing many people come in uh, to Rockbrook for the first time. Many people uh, put their faith in Jesus Christ and begin trusting him and following him uh, for the first time and believe in him for salvation and discovering what God has uh, for them. And uh, of course, we're preparing for a big Easter and your giving makes a difference there. We want to reach out to people, want to be thinking about who we're inviting uh, with us to Easter. The resurrection uh, is best when it's uh, experienced and celebrated with other people. Amen? Amen. And so uh, next weekend, we'll have some invite cards for you and some things that you could use uh, to invite people. If you need something before then, of course, we've got our uh, invite cards at the in, uh, info table that we have available for you. Um, I believe God's going to do great things this Easter. Uh, also, because of your continued generosity, we've been able to respond to needs uh, in our community and, and beyond. Um, as many of you know, our uh, neighboring states to the north are just experiencing devastating flooding, and if you've seen what's going on up there, it's just, um, it's just re it's really devastating, and uh, we've been able to um, send some funds up to, uh, we sent them to the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief because they're just uh, really claiming this and really making a big impact, and uh, they're going to be there long after other organizations have had to pull out and move on to other things. Uh, the church will still be there, and they'll still be there making a, making a difference. So let's be praying for them, that God would duplicate their rest, that they, he would reward their, their efforts to serve. And I just want to thank you. Uh, thank you guys for your faithful, consistent giving. Those who are, who are faithful with the tithe and being generous, is, it allows us to respond to needs in our church, in our community, in our world, without having to uh, ask every time or trying to raise the funds every time. And and uh, it makes a difference, so just a way to go. Thank you. Keep it up. My small group's been doing a study um, called One Month to Live. Those of you who've been around for a while, you might remember the One Month to Live uh, study that we did. And just how, how would you live if you knew your time was short? How would you live if you knew you only had about a month uh, to live? And it has me just seeing life and the world around me a certain way. Um, you know that in your final days, your priorities really surface, don't they? You're... you're your final days, what you're really about, where the, really, the, the things that you value come to the surface. And it has me thinking, just as we're doing this study going into Easter, leading up to Easter, about Jesus, who would have known it was his final month. He knew it was the Passion Week. He knew it was the last week of his life before he'd be obedient to the cross. And his priorities are really surfacing. And what he cares about and what he wants his disciples and his team to remember and the things that he wants to say are there it's, it's surfacing it's making it so clear now and uh, the theme for the scripture for the next two weeks is in Matthew 20 
verse 17. Look at it with me. It says, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. And on the way, he took the 12 aside, took his disciples aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem. I love that he includes them, that it's, there's, a, there's a, a we going on here. And I hope that that would be uh, the heart of our church, that you know, as we're headed into Easter, that uh, we're going somewhere together. We're, we're having a perspective together. We're thinking about this together. We're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged or whipped and crucified. Jesus is just telling him, them ahead of time what's, what's going to happen. So they're not so surprised by it that they can know what to expect. He wants them to understand what we call the Passion Week, but it doesn't stop there. Yes, he is the Lamb of God who takes away our sins, but it doesn't, it doesn't end there. On the third day, he will be raised to life. And that's what Easter is all about, life. That's what it's all about now, life. That's what these messages are all about now, life. Can I get a better amen, somebody? It's all about life. He's alive. Can we, man, just, just, you need to look to your neighbor. Look to your neighbor and say, you look like you could use a sacred moment, to tell you the truth. You need a, a sacred moment. You need a sacred moment all up in here today. The final week of Jesus, when you begin to read it, what you realize, it's full of choices. It's full of decisions. There are so many different choices that are being made that week. Jesus is making so many choices and decisions about what he'll say and who he'll be with and how he'll obey the Father to the furthest extent. The religious leaders are making choices. They're faced with options. The crowds are making choices, and, and the people are choosing, and it's the Passover, so Jerusalem's packed full of people, and these crowds and these people, they're all making choices and decisions, and, and people making choices. The disciples are making a lot of decisions. There's a lots of choosing. You got to make decisions, and you got to make them right, and you got to make them fast. Lots of choices happening, especially on that final night of Jesus. The disciples have had some challenges. They're having a hard time getting along. They've been on the road with this man named Jesus for three and a half years. And they've seen a lot and they've experienced a lot. But now they're beginning to position and one up one another and rank one another. And, and who's the favorite? And they're saying stuff like, well, did you see the other day when Jesus looked at me? And it was just this look like, I get him and he gets me and there's, you know, just something, go, something powerful going on there, and I think he's got a high ranking for me, and I think he thinks a lot of me. And another disciple says, well, you know, the, you see, you know, the evening that he spent or the time that he spends with me away from all the other followers or away from all of you guys, and it's just because he thinks so much of me, and they're ranking one another. It's just ego and pride and, and positioning one another and a lot of ego, and there are things going on during this time. They're just they're jealous one of one another, and as they start thinking about the wrong things, they become more jealous of one another, and they're just at a point where after three and a half years, they're starting to get on each other's nerves. How many of you have had a time in your life where the people in your life start to get on your nerves? <laughs> a lot of looking around going on, just like at that Last Supper, just like... These disciples had been together so much and so often, and uh, jealousy is just rampant. And meanwhile, Jesus is hearing all this, and he's, he knows he's going to take the gospel, and he's going to hand it to them. He's going to take the gospel. He's going to take the good news. He's going to take everything he's all about, and he's going to hand it to them. And they're going to be the church. They're going to be the representation. 
And Jesus is going to use these hearts and these lives to lay a foundation called the church that the gates of hell, of hell cannot prevail. But if they don't get this right, and if they don't knock it off, the gates of hell could prevail against it. And so he does something. We go to John 13, our sacred moment of the week. They, they're gathered in a room together. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I love how, how it gives a snapshot of one individual that the devil had already prompted Judas. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him, and he still goes around one, one person at a time, washing their feet, washing even the betrayer's feet. But then he came to Simon Peter, verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, uh, are you going to wash my feet? And it just dawns on Peter how wrong this is. And, and he kind of just is taken aback and takes a step back and realizes that Man, their pride and his ego had caused much of this to happen, has allowed this to happen. And, and Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. I love how Jesus comes back. He's got to come back. He comes back at them and he says, well, then Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Go down to verse 12. The Bible goes on. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. He's saying you've got you've to learn how to serve one another. Look what he says in verse 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you that I've grabbed this basin and I've served you and you should do for one another as I have done for you. Now Jesus is not flipping the script. He's not creating a um, following about foot washing service. He's not saying this whole thing has been all about washing people's feet and so now we're just going to wash people's feet. We're not going to wash any people's feet today in the message today. If you're worried about that, just relax, sit back. No feet will be exposed. We're not washing feet. He says, I want you to capture a foot washing spirit. That, that if you don't get this, if you don't catch this spirit, he's trying to deposit into his disciples a spirit that would wash each other's feet. And he says, if you don't get this, you don't get me. If you don't understand this, you don't understand me. And if you don't, if you don't do it, you're not really following what I have put out for you to follow. If you don't get a foot washing spirit, if you don't have the heart of a servant, he's giving them a basin. He's giving them a basin to choose, to choose. You have a choice. Verse 16, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He says it's not important just to know about it. You've got to put the action behind the words. Now, now that you know it, now that you know it, do it. You'll be blessed if you do it. Not if you know it, blessed if you do it. This is the last night. This is the last night. This is your topic? The last night with the team all together. This is your message to the team? Servanthood? That much weight to it? That important? This is the last visual that they, I mean, out of all the symbolism, all the illustrations, all the visuals, all the miracles, all the things, all the pictures in their mind they have of Jesus, this is the one, him, him before them, washing their feet by one, one by one. This is the last visual they have of their teacher, their Lord, this person they've been following. That much of a priority in our lives. And they're going to finish up this supper and they're going to pray and they're going to sing together. And then everything starts to happen with Judas and the guards and the Romans and the betrayal, the arrest, and the feet that he has washed. Those clean feet are going to run off in betrayal of him. They're going to scatter before him. And he knows they'll turn on him, but he chooses a base. He chooses a basin to serve. It's a choice we're all faced with. There's some things Jesus does. I just love breaking this apart, just walking through the the different steps that he took, the, the, the different the movements that he made that night. Would you just write down these movements? It says a lot about our choices. What choices did Jesus make? This, as this text simply says, he got up from supper. He got up from supper. In the middle of a meal, in the middle of the moments, he allowed himself to be interrupted. He could have stayed at the dinner table. He could have said, that's not, your, that's not my problem, that's your problem. That's your issue, that's your stuff. I'm good, I've got my power, I've got my love. But he got up from supper and he participated. He allowed, it, he allowed himself to be interrupted. Just think about your life. Think about the moments in your life when you were interrupted, when you were stopped, or you, choose, you would choose to stop. And, and now you look back and your life might be different if you didn't stop, if you weren't interrupted. You may not know who you know. Who you, know. you may not be married to who you're married to. You may not have the job that you have. You may not have made the decision that you made. You may not be in the church that you're in today. It's just a choice. He, he chose to participate. Got up from supper. Number two, he laid aside his garment. He took on the uniform of a, the uniform of a servant. And the disciples knew what was happening. When you wear your sandals, you pick up all the dirt from your travels and your path, and then you're going to sit at a low table and your feet are up in somebody else's business. So when you'd walk into a dinner like this, normally there'd be a servant there who's there to wash your feet. And I just wonder, did the disciples walk in? Did they, would they walk into this room and they all walk past the basin? And it's an intimate gathering. There's no servant there to wash their feet. This is just Jesus and his disciples. He's in his last days. He's, he's picky about who he's with. And he's spending time with those closest to him. And did they all walk in knowing there's going to be no servant here tonight and thinking someone else will do it? Someone else will do it. I wonder if it was kind of even this little elephant in the room of as they're talking about ranking and their position and, and what Jesus thinks of them, if it was all going to shake out to who's the lowest ranking and then he'll, he'll wash the feet. But blessings flow from the basin. If the basin is beneath you, you won't get a blessing. They flow from the basin. And blessings follow the basin. Blessed are you who know and do 
these things. You're blessed if you do them. He laid aside his garment, and number three, he took the towel. He took the towel. Now, I love paper towels. I buy them in bulk, and uh, I just love them. I guess I'll reduce my carbon footprint some other way, but I, uh, I just love paper towels, and um, I've got paper towels hanging up in my, on a paper towel rack in my kitchen. You probably have that in your kitchen. I also hung one up in my garage, so I got paper towels right there in the garage, and hung one up in my laundry room under the cabinet in a laundry room, so I've got paper towels right there in the laundry room, and then I hung one up in the bathroom, in the, ma- in the master bathroom, because um, I just noticed that I'll go in there and think, oh, I need to clean this, but then if I leave, I get distracted or something else, so uh, I'm more apt to clean if I've got the 409 right under the, the bathroom sink and the paper towels hanging right there. And so, so I just I love paper towels. I, th- I, think, I think about paper towels a lot if you want to know the truth. And sometimes I just see them in, the, in their little container, their little thing. You pick them up, you know, and, and I just wonder, and maybe they're on the rack or maybe they're in their the thing with all the other paper towel rolls. And I wonder what they say to one another. And uh, I think they just, I think they say, it's so nice in here, and we're in our little small group. We've got a paper towel small group, and, and it's so clean in here, and it's nice and dry, and everybody looks so good and looks so nice today. And, but I think as they talk to one another, I think they start talking about, man, how nice it is. But they, they know in the back of their mind they were made for something. They were made for something specific. They were made for a mess. They were made for a mess, and I think they just start talking, and I think they get worked up, and they get antsy, and they, they say, man, we were made for a mess. It's nice in here, but we gotta, we got to get messy. Come on, something's got to happen. Some kid, throw up! <laughs> Somebody change your oil. Put me on some pizza grease. I was made for a mess. i got to get messy. i got to get dirty. i got to live out my mission. I've got to fulfill my purpose. I was made for a reason. I was made for a specific thing, and and sometimes I wonder if we're like paper towels where we get, we get in and we're in this nice little small group and we're in church today and it's all clean and it's nice and it's dry and it's really great. But I was made for a mess. Like, you got to just, this is great. I love the proximity. I love being in here today, but it's just too clean. Somebody put me in a mess. Somebody just get me. I just got to get in the dirt. I got to get in the mess. Just put me in a paper towel small group. Put me in a paper towel dream team. Put me in a paper towel family. Come on, put me in a paper towel mission. Jesus is not handing out titles. He's handing out towels. And it's in the texture of the towel that you find the blessing. And you can have a correct theology about serving, and you can know all the things you've got to know, but you're blessed if you do it when you finally grab the basin. It's in the texture of the towel that the blessing comes. And Jesus is not handing out a title. He's not handing out more knowledge. He doesn't want to discuss it anymore. He says, pick up the towel. Grab the towel. He says, I got up from supper. I took on the uniform of a servant, and I grabbed the towel. Will you pick up? The towel. We're created to get into the mess of broken and lost humanity. And we were brought into the salvation of Jesus to get involved in the spills, to get off the paper towel rack and get into the spills. He chose the towel. Then number four, he, he stooped down. He loved them to the point that he went low so he could lift them up. He loved them in spite of their past mistakes. He loved them in spite of their present flaws. He loved them in spite of future fails. 
And even in all that mess, he says, I've already come this far. You're worth me stepping out of heaven. I'm going to stoop down now in this meal and, and serve you. The last thing he did was he leaned into them. He could have said, not my problem, but he got involved. He could have, he could have preached another sermon. He could have done another teaching. He could have... Just think of all the things he could have done in that moment as he sits there and, and hears them and knows what's in their hearts and knows what's about to happen. And He could have got up and slammed the door and left. He could have done so many things. You know, he, could have, he could have even made the same point, but in a different way, with a different visual. He could have said, you think, you think you're the highest ranking. You think you're the best. You think you deserve this and des deserve this and all this ego. But I have the name that is above all names and all of you are going to wash my feet. But no, he got up and set for them an example. And he chose the basin. By, he chose a basin of serving by washing their feet. What a king. What an amazing king we follow we serve what a choice the choice is do you want the basin of serving do you want the blessing do you, basin of loving and caring and getting involved being willing to be interrupted so that maybe through that act of service there could be an invitation an invitation to freedom an invitation to life the same invitation we have today Scripture tells us this is not the only basin, though, in the Passion Week. This is not the only basin in this account. There's another basin. It appears about 24 hours later. Because Jesus was popular, they had to arrest him at night to get him arrested. They arrested him and took him through six sham trials trying to railroad him. And three religious trials, three Roman trials. And none of these trials were legal because it was illegal to have a trial at night. But they were rushing this thing through. They wanted to prosecute. They wanted to persecute. They wanted to execute Jesus. And after six trials, six sham trials, do you know what they found Jesus guilty of? Nothing. Nothing. They couldn't get anything on him. And so they had to actually pay some phony witnesses to come in and put up charges against Jesus. They made up these charges, but do you know what happened? Those paid witnesses couldn't keep their story straight. They contradicted one another, and so they still didn't have a case. They had to throw out the witnesses, throw out the case. So Pontius Pilate, who's overseeing this whole thing, calls for a basin. But it's in complete contrast to the basin of Jesus. They're trying to figure out what to do with Jesus. Now, what do we do with the guy who's standing here before us innocent and we've done everything we can to falsely persecute him and, and we're out of options and we're out of time. So what do we, what do, we do with him now? And Pontius Pilate is, is there in Matthew 27. He says, meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the release of a Jewish prisoner was customary before the feast of Passover. Pilate offered the people a choice. A lot of choosing going on, a lot of choices being made, a lot of decisions being made. And he offered the people a choice. Should we release Jesus or release Barabbas, a known criminal who's imprisoned already for murder? Verse 21, so the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas! Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus? Pilate asks the question all of humanity is asking today. So we head into Easter. What's the question ringing out like a bell around the world? What should I do with Jesus? 
Every religion has had to come up with an answer to that, qu that question. If we believe this, well then what do we do with Jesus? Every person who's heard the name of Jesus has had to make the decision, what do I do with Jesus? What do I do with Jesus? Almost 2,000 years later, the question resounds in our life today, what do I do with Jesus? Gotta make a decision, gotta make a choice. There's no neutral on Jesus, can't bow out. Gotta decide, gotta make a decision, gotta make a choice about Jesus before you don't have breath any longer. What should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. And Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water. He sent for a basin and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. He called for a basin to wash his hands to say, I'm not a part. The, his blood is on your hands, not on mine. And just like Jesus made choices, Pilate made choices. He, he made two choices, two choices that we're faced with today. What did Pilate do? Well, number one, he washed his hands of responsibility. But you can't really do that. He thought he could wash his hands of responsibility, but he was responsible. All of us are. What do we do with the man Jesus who is called the Messiah? And this encounter with Pilate shows Shows the people on one side, Christ on the other. Shows the world on one side and Christ on the other. And the devil's on the fence. And I think so often the devil, he, he doesn't try to take our, our life and run it into the ditch or take us down some bad moral path. He tries to get us to believe, to be deceived, that we don't have to make a choice. That we can sit on the fence about who Jesus is. The enemy is trying to get us to think we can wash our hands of responsibility. Meanwhile, Jesus stands before us all. It says in the book of Revelation, he stands at the door of our heart and knocks. And we're all responsible for what we do with the man, Jesus. We're all responsible for what we do. The other thing Pilate does is he refused to make a choice. He thought he was done. But what you and I know is that when you refuse to make a choice, you've made your choice. Can't bow out. Got to make a choice. Got to make a decision. To not choose is to choose. And Jesus called for a basin. It was a basin of service, a basin of humility. And what Pilate called for was a basin. It was a basin of rejection. It was, he rejected Jesus. What a thought. All of us have a choice. What's your response to the basin choice? We get to choose. We get to choose. We can come to Jesus and say, Lord, my life is yours, and I know I'm not perfect, and I have, I have past mistakes, and I've got present flaws right now, and I have fails in my future, but I know your love can forgive me and give me new life, so I make a choice. I surrender my life. I, I pick up the basin to serve. I want to be involved. I, I want to get up from the comfort. I want to get up from my life. I want my life to be interrupted. I'm willing to be interrupted to serve others. I'll take some of the resources you've given me. I'll give and take this breath and this time that you've given me, and 
and I'll use it. You can interrupt it, Lord. I'll use it. I'll take, I'll take the talent. I'll take the, the gifts that you've given me and the things that I'm good at, and I'll, I'll use them to serve others. I pick up a basin to serve. God, I'll, I'll take the money that you've given me. It's all a gift to you, and I'll give back to you, Lord, and I'll be faithful. I'll be faithful with the tithe. I'll be faithful in being generous to others. Show me how I can meet needs, Lord. Show me how I can meet relational needs, Lord. I'll go to small group where I can really know people and just change the way I think about it, God, to where I can really serve them and really know how to pray for them and know how to encourage them. God, show me how I can meet an emotional need that maybe I can listen to someone's pain or listen to someone's addiction and point them to a place of freedom that maybe, maybe I could celebrate with them. Maybe I could go on the journey with them that I could celebrate recovery with them. God, I want to meet a need. Show me how I can meet physical needs that I can help them in some tangible way with their life or their home. Maybe I can give them a ride to Easter. God, could you show me how I can meet a spiritual need where I could pray for people, where I could bring them to church, where I could share what Christ means with me, means to me with them. And could it be that my basin of serving could turn into someone else's decision and choice about salvation? I think it could. I think it could. I love a church that gets involved. I love a church that doesn't wash its hands of responsibility that says I love a church that says I, I can't save anybody but I can serve somebody and it's always a risk to serve you put yourself out there I love a church that says I'm willing to to put myself out there I'm willing to take the risk I'm willing to maybe even face rejection and, and, and share that emotion with my Lord and Savior. I'm, I'm willing to, to take responsibility. I'm not going to wash my hands of this. I'm going to pick up the basin and I'm going to use it to serve someone. Come on, who wants to be a paper towel that can only talk about the mess? Who wants to be a professor of dirt? Just observing dirt, people's dirt. Put me in the mess. Put me in the dirt. It's not enough that you know it. You can't just have a theology about serving. You're blessed if you do it. The blessing flows from the basin. And God, could you use us to help care for broken, lost humanity? I love hearing about just the people in our church who they don't wash their hands of responsibility. They take responsibility. They take problems that are not their own and they put them upon themselves. I love hearing there's so many stories of people meeting needs, physical needs, emotional needs, relational needs, spiritual needs. I love hearing about a kid's small group leader in Rockbrook for Kids small groups who, yes, serves so faithfully in that time and in the context of small group, but goes above and beyond and shows up in the, in the big moments of that kid's life, of that student's life, and is there to root them on, to be a presence in their life, to encourage them. I love walking into a hospital room and visiting someone and before I can even say hi they've already told me about their small group who's been there and the leaders that have been there and the, the people in, in their life and in their church that are taking care of problems in their home and and helping them I, I love hearing the stories of forgiveness and reconciliation and that it was it took so much faith and they entered into a lot of pain to to find that forgiveness, to find that reconciliation, but they found it and they've met the freedom that comes on the other side of it. I love hearing about the addictions that are being conquered and that man, people, they tried, it, they tried to conquer the addiction on their own, but it was in the context of a relationship. It was in the context of someone being willing to serve. I love seeing the dream team united in serving one another. I love seeing your prayer requests for the broken, the hurting in your life, the lost, people who are picking up the basin of serving. Love being a part of a church. People who, they don't walk past the basin and say someone else is going to have to give. 
Someone else is going to have to fund this thing. Someone else is going to have to serve. Someone else is going to have to join that team. Someone else is going to have to serve those kids. Someone else is going to have to meet those needs. But they take the paper towel off the rack and they don't just have a theology about serving. They just don't sit in a service and hear about what serving is. They know it and they do it. And the blessing comes. The blessing flows from the basin. And eternity is impacted from a choice. From a choice. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your example and your words. We thank you for what you're doing in our life. We're humbled, Lord, that you brought a basin into our our life, that we were far from you, and we had so many past mistakes and so many present flaws and fails in our future, but you showed up with a basin to serve. You stooped down out of heaven. You made a way for us to be saved. And now the ball's in our court. The choice is ours. Maybe you're here today with a choice in front of you, and like Pilate, you make a decision. You make a choice, a basin choice for eternity. Pilate said, what do I do with this man, Jesus? He thought he could escape having to answer that. But he chose to reject Jesus. He said, no. We either accept him or we say no to him. Today, I believe there's someone who wants to make the choice to receive God's love to receive his acts of service, to love him back, to serve him back, to follow Jesus. Would you express that to him? Just say, God, God, I feel it. It's almost like I can feel you knocking on the door of my heart. And I don't know what all this is going to mean for me. And I have past sins and present flaws. And I'm sure I'm going to fail again. But I open the door and I choose you. Just say, God, I choose you. I make a choice. I choose you. I choose you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.